thrown around way too much and I never use it but you can definitely call him that it is none other than Jeff Garzik uh, CEO of Block B-L-O-Q we've got him on the show today what an honor uh, before I get too far here slobbering over you thanks so much for uh, for coming on the show Jeff <laughs> oh I really appreciate you having me yeah very very cool so I, I guess that's where I start right so there's just so much to talk to you about uh, the futurism idea Block Bitcoin, but let's let's put you in some context in case you know some listeners might not understand who you are and uh, why why I'm such a fan. Is it is it is it fair to say that you were the the third the third commit to a Bitcoin Core? Uh, the not quite the uh, the the data point that's usually tossed around is uh, until recently, as I've been uh, Bitcoin Core retired for a few years now, is I was the third most prolific. Uh, after uh, Satoshi and Gavin, uh, so there were uh, uh, there was a, a third uh, committer uh, before me, um, and there were quite a few uh, one or two shotters uh, in the early days of uh, Bitcoin, working directly with uh, Satoshi and Gavin. Uh, but uh, coming from the open source world, my uh, previous pre blockchain uh, history include a whole lot of open source engineering over at uh, Red Hat. Uh, working on the Linux kernel, the Linux kernel being uh, this uh, uh, the core piece of software in every Android phone and every uh, Linux server in a data center. Uh, I was kind of the the hard drive and network card guy. Uh, so if you're sending data over a network, you're storing data on a uh, hard drive or an SSD these days, you're running through some of my software. And so I'd seen large open source projects. I'd seen uh, you know, the, uh, the social communities that develop around open source projects and the, the flame wars and dramas that can result in that sort of thing. And jumping in from that into Bitcoin, it was familiar territory. It was an open source project that I uh, discovered first in the early days of July 2010. I was reading this uh, website, Slash.org, uh, tagline, News for Nerds. Uh, it was uh, one of the, the biggest websites of the, I'd say, the late 90s. Uh, For sure. There's uh, even a term, Slashdot-effect, coined after this website. If Slashdot linked to you in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, your website would crash because it would uh, direct so much traffic to you. Right. And that's where the first real mention of uh, Bitcoin hit. It hit this nerd site before then. It really had no exposure. Uh, Gavin, uh, Satoshi's number two at the time, had discovered it in May of that year. And really, there were one or two users uh, in all of 2009, year 2009, and a couple more in early 2010. And then what I call the great slash dotting. Uh, it really exploded into uh, the, you know, the programming community, which is... 
from where uh, everything blockchain today uh, originated. It was that uh, trace back to that first News for Nerds posting about Bitcoin where I found out about it. Jed McCaleb, the original uh, Mt. Gox creator and now right. uh, uh, CTO, CEO of Stellar, uh, found out about mm-hmm. Bitcoin. A number of uh, other developers discovered it on that single day in that single post. It really was this Cambrian explosion of uh, uh, cryptocurrency enthusiasts and developers and experiments. And uh, from that, it was just very familiar territory. So I immediately started uh, making little uh, contributions. I consider myself uh, kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to uh, engineering. So I jumped in to uh, fix. Uh, There was this, uh, it's still a problem today. Uh, You have to download the entire blockchain uh, to uh, really bootstrap uh, Bitcoin on a uh, full node. Uh, so that you're a fully validating node on that network. That takes a long time. Uh, Back in the day, it took even longer. And uh, that was due to some database technology, some other optimizations. So I uh, jumped in and uh, immediately started making some optimizations there, cut cut the download uh, by hours. And uh, then, uh, you know, jumped around the software uh, back and forth, uh, you know, where Satoshi needed uh, some help. Um, for another example, and this sort of kicked off mining, is uh, I took the CPU miner out of Bitcoin. It, it used to be built into the Bitcoin software itself and created a, uh, a separate component uh, called unoriginally CPU miner. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, CPU miner software uh, is still being used today, oddly enough. That, uh, that request from Satoshi... Uh, get this thing out of my software. This, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't that dramatic, uh, actually. He just, it's kind of a pain to have this uh, CPU miner in the software where everyone wants to to micro-optimize, add uh, assembly optimizations, other technology speed-ups, and he just wanted to focus on the core software. And I think uh, very rationally and logically said, uh, you know, let's split this out. I did that. And then uh, the CPU mining revolution kicked off. I also wrote one of the first Bitcoin mining pools. And my software wow. uh, took off uh, out of my hands. The GPU miners started using it. And uh, it's now called CG Miner. And then it uh, morphed or forked again uh, uh, by uh, Luke Jr., another uh, core dev, into BFG Miner. Mm-hmm. And so the ASIC miners today, these. Uh, uh, f- super fancy machines from, uh, you know, if you include Canaan, a public company that just IPO'd, yeah. making mining hardware today, 10 years later, is still using remnants of my old 2010 CPU miner code that uh, Satoshi asked me to, to rip out of the core Bitcoin software. So, you know, it was, it was a fascinating journey just for that one piece to look, uh, you know, to get on this podcast and look back over 10 years of, uh, I did this thing in 2010 and look how it's evolved. Look yeah, at the I was going to ask, like, so do, you, do you ever step back sometimes and you're at a conference or something and everybody's running around and we all know York Molt is, you know, Satoshi. That, that's <laughs> 
Uh, I've never seen you and him in the same place at the same time, by the way. I'm just going to, I'm going to just go over that. I'm just going to go over that. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to skip over it. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, do you ever, do you ever, when you're at a conference or somewhere, do you just kind of step back with a, with a martini or a, uh, an old fashioned and just kind of look over and go, wow, (laughs) that's been created. Uh, I, maybe I do that a bit too much. Uh, one of my uh, <laughs> philanthropic interests is uh, an organization called The Long Now. Uh, they're famous for, among other things, building a clock that will operate for 10,000 years. Oh, right. Uh, out in uh, the, I think it's the Arizona desert or Utah desert. And the uh, philosophy is just think long term. I think that uh, we have way too many people who are driven by the the next quarter's numbers the next year's numbers and not looking enough at you know a 5 10 20 50 year uh, time frame and so i think i'm actually guilty of uh, a little bit too much long term thinking mm. uh but uh there's certainly a, a plenty to look back over the past 10 years of how bitcoin's evolved how uh it went in the directions i expect how it went in the directions i did not expect uh, you know, in 2010, uh, going to conferences, uh, I was an on the ground activist, uh, literally with hair down to my bum, uh, <laughs> that, uh, was trying to convince merchants, uh, you know, brick and mortar stores, take this new digital currency. Um, and, you know, I was pounding the pavement, trying to get uh, Bitcoin accepted as a payment method. And it's interesting to look back, uh, 10 years and think, well, uh, you know, what would this, what would Jeff today uh, do differently? Uh, how would he make that same pitch for digital currency? Uh, you know, would I pitch uh, Bitcoin or a stable coin or mm-hmm. uh, something else? It's just a, a really, really fascinating question. Uh, pick any avenue and I can give you that 10 year, uh, <laughs> 10 year look back. That's the problem with having you on. If there's just, just literally <laughs> so much to talk about. Uh, that's, you know, my cup, my cup overrunneth as a, as a podcaster here, but, uh, zeroing in a little bit, um, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with CoinSpice, we're sort of the crankier side of the cryptocurrency, uh, debate. Uh, we like the, the peer to peer digital cash side. So as soon as you mentioned, you know, uh, shilling merchants, <laughs> payment, you know, everybody in my audience, their ears, to Kelso, get him, get him, um, on, on this idea. Uh, so here's a light quick topic and we don't have to spend too much time on it, but just, you know, red meat for my guys here. Uh, you know, I saw a recent, uh, uh, tweet that you made, I, I think actually today or yesterday, uh, about the Pornhub uh, community uh, being, uh, uh, zapped by, by PayPal. And you kind of went through the list of popular cryptos out there, uh, whether or not they're, they're payment friendly. Um, what, what are your thoughts on cryptocurrency? as a currency, as a method of payment. And um, if, you know, we tend to favor Bitcoin cash, but you don't, there's no party line you have to take there. Uh, what, what, are, what are some of your thoughts on that kind of general topic? Sure. Well, uh, you know, going back to that original uh, 2010 uh, Bitcoin cypherpunk uh, pay with uh, decentralized currency vision, Right. I, uh, you know, uh, your, your audience members probably uh, don't know much about my non-technical background. I'm a big science fiction fan. 
I, uh, that was one of the reasons why I got into digital currency. Uh, I uh, read these, uh, uh, or, or read, I guess it's now 15 or 20 years old, dating myself, uh, Shadow Run. It's mm. uh, kind of a Dungeons and Dragons like uh, uh, game, and they had a set of novels. And I ha- uh, quote a couple of these novels on my uh, blog, uh, GarzikRantsBlogspot.com that uh, really echo in the late 90s exactly what Bitcoin has achieved today. And uh, they, uh, in these novels, they would talk about the, the characters would exchange anonymous cred sticks, mm-hmm. which uh, they might be loaded with, you know, a million dollars or two dollars. And uh, you'd uh, have varying levels of security. Uh, you know, there are gold and diamond banded uh, cred sticks for certified for, you know, over a million dollars of new yen, uh, things of that nature. It was really, really exciting to think about a future of uh, that sort of decentralized digital currencies, uh, being uh, sort of more libertarian minded myself, uh, seeing uh, private currencies compete with uh, nation state currencies. Uh, the U.S. history, uh, the 1800s in the United States has a rich history of private banks issuing their own currency. Right. So uh, we kind of grew up with this multi-currency, uh, private and public money uh, regime. And uh, taking that into the future, it just seemed like the natural extension. So I was prepped and ready when Bitcoin came on the scene. And I I bit hard. It was uh, exactly uh, what I've been hoping for. And uh, so uh, where does that, how does that meet reality and sort of the Pornhub example of Mm -hmm. uh, being deplatformed by PayPal? Um, I can only imagine that uh, uh, they have a number of payments that they need to process. And so it was a nice mental exercise to say, uh, you know, where are we after uh, 10 years? I remember, uh, again, pounding the pavement in 2010 and having to explain to people, uh, yeah, it's this volatile currency, so it might be worth you know one price one day and one price another. Uh, but uh, here's this uh, you know there's a business over here uh, that can help BitPay uh, that'll you know give you U.S. dollars again. It's not great from a cypherpunk right. uh, perspective, but uh, it gives you that stability you need. Uh, and oh yeah, there's the you got to wait ten minutes, uh, or it might be double spent within a certain amount of risk. And <laughs> yep. let's talk about your, uh, you know, are you shipping a product right now? Are you handing somebody gold coins, or are you handing somebody a uh, an IOU that you can later call back if their transaction's bad? Mm-hmm. Detail, detail, detail. But it was uh, in retrospect, I'm sitting here explaining to you know a brick and mortar merchant there. Hey, I'm walking in. I'm super excited about this hugely complicated thing. <laughs> right, right. And they're they're looking for simplicity, right? They're looking just fast and how do we Exactly. And so it just wasn't there yet in 2010 and it's still a long journey. Um I am uh, still every day working in crypto, excited about crypto as I was uh the day I joined. But uh I'm I try to be hyper pragmatic about what is a user experience. And I've, uh, you'll find this on my uh, Twitter and throughout my talks is that UX uh, shorthand for user experience needs to be uh, frictionless as frictionless as possible. 
And for the longest time, uh, just Bitcoin wallets, the Bitcoin payment experience was kind of the opposite of just swipe a card and you're yeah. good. And uh, so for some cases, uh, it works really, really well for, uh, for example, uh, the company I run, Block, we uh, pay our entire Argentinian team in Bitcoin. And oh, wow. that is the best way to pay them. It, uh, it's fast, it's secure, it's uh, cross-border. And, and especially uh, now with all the things <laughs> that's going on there, right? Yeah, with the inflation rate and everything. So there's, uh, there are clear cases where it wins, but that retail payment uh, experience still remains elusive to this day. And that's kind of the point I was making in that tweet is that we're... Uh, we're getting there, and, and for your BCH audience, I uh, did indicate that there's a, a very pro-payment uh, atmosphere in BCH, mm -hmm. which I think is positive versus kind of the you know, moving away from payment uh, uh, attitude in the Bitcoin community, which is a little bit disappointing. Uh, but uh, all of those are just data points. It's not a, uh, you know, no Bitcoin, yes, BCH. Again, I'm the I'm trying to be the ultimate pragmatist and say, what does that brick and mortar merchant experience? What are those friction points? Does he, uh, would he rather get uh, settled in a stable coin? Probably. Uh, would I rather write a mortgage, a 30 year mortgage in Bitcoin or uh, a stable coin? A stable coin is pretty much the clear answer if you're uh, looking for a long term contract. And so those are kind of the, the issues that go into uh, that brick and mortar uh, point of view and experience and calculus. Um, I, uh, I'll sort of close on, on that topic with referencing a, a Nick Zabo paper on uh, micropayments and mental friction. And it, uh, this was a fascinating paper. Your listeners should definitely uh, look it up and read it. It uh, ultimately makes the point that uh, let's assume that our technology gives us the frictionless micropayments that we want. Let's just assume for the sake of argument that, you know, lightning works or uh, BCH gives us instant payments. Uh, pick, your, pick your answer. Let's assume that. Now, what is that payment experience? And uh, he was talking specifically about micropayments. And uh, let's posit the example, say, that you're a newspaper website, WashingtonPost.com, NewYorkTimes.com. And instead of a subscription, you want to enable readers to uh, just unlock that paywall by paying 25 cents or 10 cents by paying a micropayment. That's, that's a very common request. But let's look at that over time. Let's multiply that times each article you read. Do you really want to, you're, you know, in the U.S. right now, there's a, a big uh, political brouhaha, Trump impeachment, blah, blah. And uh, you want to read an article about that. Do you really want to have an economic decision of, do I pay for this article or not? And then a click and then engage your wallet every single article you might want to read mm -hmm. that just becomes that distracts you from, you know, reading what you want to read about. You now have to think, do I have a tax event for, for this micropayment? Do right. I really want to pay for this article? Is it really worth 
10 cents. And uh, with, you know, sadly with paywalls or with uh, conversely with free articles, that calculus just is not present. There's no uh, payment friction whatsoever. And so uh, the payment friction, mental friction of the payment experience I, I think was uh, one of the biggest revelations of the past 10 years uh, mentally for me is trying to pound the pavement, shill Bitcoin in 2010, uh, you know, sign up merchants uh, to accept Bitcoin payment, uh, eliminate all those credit card fees, get, you don't have to wait a week for your uh, payment processor to settle. You get cash in your wallet today. And uh, it all comes back to that, uh, that mental friction. If uh, cryptocurrency enthusiasts, and I think we'll get there, can reduce or eliminate that friction, then crypto wins. Because people ultimately, they, uh, they will go where they are least taxed and most incented. And I'm not using tax in the, the strict uh, government tax sense, but just if you have to think on every article you click versus don't, you're gonna pick that don't. If you have to uh, engage a wallet for every website you visit versus uh, not engaging a wallet for every website you visit, you're gonna pick the latter. And so it, it, after 10 years, it becomes less a tech problem and more a, uh, a user experience, user interface problem in my mind. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really, really insightful. And it's, it's something that um, on the adoption side, the merchant adoption push side that we're all, we're all grappling with. So that's fascinating stuff. So from there, you, you sort of <clears throat> foreshadowed it in your, your, your earlier comments here about spinning up nodes and um, all that good stuff. And, and now with, with frictions generally and trying to give the user at every level, um, uh, you know, a less taxing in the, in the sense that little t uh, that you're speaking of, you found uh, co-found Block, B-L-O-Q, and <clears throat> wanted you want to talk a little bit about Block Cloud because that seems really compelling. Um, got a press release from from one of your guys, uh, Phil, I believe, who's fantastic, and I sort of you know compartmentalized that I didn't really think about it, and then I so wait 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 Block is Garzik, right? Okay, so let me let me take a look at this, and so I went on and. That seems really interesting in terms of block cloud, uh, uh, running a node, um, sort of the ease of clicking in and out of blockchains. And um, anyway, I, I, I've sort of, uh, you know, jumped ahead a little bit. Um, take, us, take us to block and, and what, you're, what you're trying to do there. Sure. Well, uh, I, let, me, let me go cloud and then block. Okay. Um, the, uh, the cloud stuff was really, uh, again, born out of looking over the past five, 10 years of where are the pain points? Uh, you know, how do I get more people into crypto? And it comes back again and again to if you want to write a blockchain app, then you have to become a system administrator. You have to spin up nodes. You have to monitor these things. Uh, they're, they're finicky beasts that go up and down and, and pause and stop and all that. And so it uh, really engages uh, uh, on the, the business side, you wind up uh, paying for a lot of IT and DevOps stuff. Yeah. And on the developer side, it uh, sometimes becomes such a hurdle that it's, you just pick 
oh, well, I'm just not going to develop a blockchain app or, you know, when I learn how to spin up a node and index accounts and, uh, you know, dish dash dot, I am going to build a blockchain app. Well, uh, back uh, 10 years ago or so in the mobile, uh, mobile phone industry, we had uh, a similar developer problem of you've got all these networks, the T-Mobiles, the AT&T, the Verizon, et cetera. And if you are a developer and you want to talk to all these networks, you had to learn the T-Mobile API to talk to the T-Mobile network, the AT&T API to talk mm. to the AT&T network, and on and on. And what Twilio uh, did, Twilio.com, they said, hey, just come to us. And you uh, have a really easy developer experience, this one API, and uh, you can talk to any network you want. And what that did was almost a sea change where before a few websites that had to talk to mobile networks, they did. Like when I was booking an airline website, I had to tell my airline what mobile network I was on before they could text me. And after Twilio, you see every single website can, can do some amount of, I'll send you an SMS for verification. I'll send you an SMS to uh, let you know that your movie tickets have arrived. All of that was enabled behind the scenes by this developer-focused company, Twilio. And uh, what we're doing with Block Cloud is uh, basically the same. The thesis is that after 10 years, we are still seeing uh, these balkanized efforts where uh, you can uh, spin up a node and do X, Y, and Z for Bitcoin, but oh, I want to talk to BCH or Ethereum also. Well, I have to go to a totally different website, maybe a totally different programming language, totally different API to talk to this uh, crypto, which is uh, what I call a Bitcoin cousin. It's very, very similar to Bitcoin. And uh, so from a developer standpoint, it should also be very, very similar, but it's not. And that was what I looked at the crypto space writ large. And I said, if we want to get more people in, we've just got to make this developer experience easier across all the networks. We can't just have a great developer experience on one network and a, a very poor developer experience on another because that's just going to lead developers to make the decision, hey, this blockchain stuff still uh, hasn't been sorted out and I'm just not going to develop a blockchain app. I'm going to do something else with my time. And it becomes right. a binary decision. And that keeps people out of the industry. So uh, we said, uh, how, you know, what is the best use of our time in terms of getting more people into Bitcoin, BCH, Ethereum, all of the other cryptos, and that was uh, this block cloud uh, API. And then uh, the, the longer vision is how do we connect the, you know, the norms of the world, the non-blockchain folks, mm -hmm. to decentralized networks. And that's a, uh, another step after uh, sort of this first Twilio of blockchain connect to all the networks is uh, how do we connect to what's on those networks, the decentralized storage, decentralized compute, all these exciting uh, decentralized finance products that people are building. Once you can connect to the networks, you got to do something useful with them. You got to transact on them. And uh, that's really the next step is uh, bringing people 
and again, to bringing developers and APIs to uh, the non-crypto audiences to bring more people into crypto, make it easier to use crypto, make it easier to build crypto apps. Um, it's, it's the rough edges are after 10 years, they still exist and we're, we're trying to hammer them down. So that's, that's really what gets me up in the morning, uh, in terms of block cloud. Yeah, it's, it's super, super interesting. And I, I saw that, uh, someone, uh, asked you to do a, a, a demonstration of, of sorts and, um, you, uh, you videoed it, which we'll link to, um, uh, everything that Jeff talks about here in the show notes. Um, and that was that was really illustrative. Um, <clears throat> the the interface is very nice and clean, and there's some drop downs. You know, you just choose your blockchain, go, and you know, a few clicks here, and you're you're in. And then you can stop it, start it. Um, it's it. it I, I think I think you're onto something. Um, I just don't know. You know, kind of like in the early days of Bitcoin, I have to sort of trust smart guys like you. Um, I just don't know where it's going to go, but I, I like the, what I like about the way you think is there, there are at least two types of, of, of people to, to, to get behind. There are sort of the, the, I guess I'll use gold, gold miners who have, you know, pans and they get out there and they, they, you know, they have pickaxes and they do all that stuff. And then there are the, the wags who sell them the shovels and sell them the, you know, the pans. <laughs> I think, I think you're, you've got your feet in both. And that's what kind of makes you so interesting because you can do the coding side, you can do the engineering side, uh, but you also understand, you know, because, you know, someone, I, I could see someone going to block cloud who maybe doesn't understand, you know, everything that they need to in terms of nodes to just be able to sit there and, and do it. So that's, that's really, really interesting. And so to take us through block and because I know it's more than just block cloud, uh, what what else are you guys doing? Sure, absolutely. So uh, uh, rewinding back to late 2015, I had uh, just uh, come off of uh, what uh, I can make puns about now. I had a small space startup trying to put, uh, you know, that was my moonshot, putting uh, Bitcoin nodes in space. Right. And, right. <laughs> uh, you know, we can make all sorts of puns about it. It failed to launch in this space and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, what it did was I got connected into this, uh, the, the Bitcoin, uh, sort of VC network. That was when, uh, the, the Sequoias of the world and the other, uh, Sand Hill Road mm -hmm. venture capital shops were starting to wake up to blockchain and, uh, got connected into those networks. I, uh, got invited to out to Necker Island to hang out at uh, Richard Branson's place with a bunch of other blockchain folks, uh, all sorts of exciting uh, early days uh, VC type stuff. And uh, I uh, met a uh, gentleman, Matt Rozak, who he is uh, an investor in a ton of early uh, Bitcoin and blockchain companies. And uh, he was uh, one of the only ones who uh, stuck by me in the, uh, the uh, the Bitcoin uh, node in space startup that went nowhere. And uh, we formed a, a friendship and a partnership. And we looked at each other one day and said, uh, what is the best opportunity for our, our time and money and thoughts and energy? And uh, that was uh, Block. In those early days, it was uh, a bit different than what it is now. I came from Red Hat. And so we started with this uh, Red Hat style business model 
where uh, we would uh, sell subscriptions to supported blockchain software. It was based off of Bitcoin in those days. And uh, we got some early uh, big name customers, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Fidelity, uh, uh, mm. Discover, Credit Card, uh, et cetera. And uh, they, they were definitely in the uh, sort of proof of concept, let's play around with blockchain uh, type of space. But uh, my heart was always in, in the cryptocurrency networks and the tokenization and decentralization. And that's, that was really sort of the, a uh, blockchain, not Bitcoin type of shape. And uh, what I really have uh, noticed over the past 10 years is that's still a developing space. And there still hasn't been a uh, sort of a home run in the quote unquote enterprise blockchain space. Right. But uh, meanwhile, the, the stuff that's closer to my, my heart and my roots, the, you know, the shadow run digital currency future is uh, really exploding. And that's uh, the crypto networks, decentralized finance. Um, we're still even 10 years out in the early days. But uh, in 2015, 2016, we, uh, we saw that opportunity. We saw that uh, there were a lot of really smart people who uh, we could get on the team and kind of figure out uh, what was the best shape uh, after that. So uh, Block is uh, and has been sort of two business units uh, really quick. Uh, one is uh, this Block Enterprise business unit, uh, and that's now 100% uh, dedicated to uh, our uh, Block Cloud efforts that we just described. And the mm -hmm. other is uh, Block Labs, which is uh, even more uh, sort of future forward-looking uh, division where We'll uh, engineer tokens, launch tokens, uh, help with uh, other networks, uh, et cetera. It's uh, really kind of the yin and yang of uh, enterprise needs something that has service level agreements and has high availability and redundancy, et cetera, et cetera. You know, bomb-proof infrastructure. And they're not ready for the bleeding edge. They're not ready for the latest in... Uh, you know, smart contracts, stable coin, decentralized mm, finance swaps, uh, that sort of thing. And so these two business units, one is focusing on uh, the best infrastructure and uh, the other is uh, focusing on disrupting that infrastructure. And uh, what comes next and what's, what does Web4 look like? And that's where you see us uh, today. Uh, we released uh, uh, Titan. Uh, Titan.io. It's a uh, mining management and uh, optimization and marketplace company. Uh, we're spinning that out. And uh, previously, uh, we had built a uh, an autonomous system. Again, very much like my uh, the Shadowrun uh, sort of digital currency decentralized routes. Uh, Metronome uh, being a autonomous resilient digital currency that can survive the death of a blockchain. And uh, we're, we're seeing some more cross-blockchain efforts today, but uh, it was really born out of that uh, long now 10,000-year philosophy of, you know, how do we risk adjust against a blockchain going away or, or there's a devastating hard fork in one blockchain or something mm -hmm. like that? And can we create a token 
that uh, is not tied to one specific blockchain. And I think we did that. And we also, on the economic side, created a really interesting uh, uh, self-perpetuating economy. Uh, But uh, there again, it was an exercise of how can we be innovative inside this block labs unit and do something that nobody's ever done before, tackle a really, really hard engineering problem. Um, That's what uh, is really exciting about working in this space even today. Um, I think that uh, Metronome, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, uh, those are really sort of the step one or phase one of building the crypto economy. And I'm, I'm, this goes back to one of the questions you asked at the top of the podcast. I'm really kind of surprised that it took uh, this long to just mature the, the stage one or level one and get to uh, stage two, which is using these tokens in financial instruments. And that's what uh, DeFi is, the, the acronym standing for decentralized finance. You have smart contracts on a blockchain that uh, they're not uh, influenced or corruptible, hopefully, by uh, humans. It's just a neutral uh, referee, if you will, of rules related to a financial product, whether it's a loan, it's a bank CD, a certificate of deposit, it's a, uh, a credit line, all the familiar stuff that you've heard outside of blockchain, it, we, we have to. Uh, to build a crypto economy, we have to reinvent these securely in the blockchain world. That's what building the crypto economy is. If I want to live completely in the the Bitcoin cash world, for example, think mm-hmm. about all the, the assistance I need right now. I need a, a credit card that'll uh, draw my BCH balance so that I can swipe in any Visa or MasterCard terminal. Those exist. A couple of those credit cards exist then that's a necessary bridge until you get to, well, uh, these credit card, these card networks and point of sale terminals, they know Bitcoin and they know Bitcoin cash. And I don't have to go through the Visa MasterCard network and pay an extra 2%. So those, uh, those types of gadgets are still being, still maturing, still being developed and uh, DeFi still very, uh, you know, version zero, uh, alpha, beta level quality, still early days on that. If we're judging from how long it took us to get to uh, somewhat decent payment experience and start to build DeFi a decade, uh, it might take another decade for uh, DeFi to mature. And that's the long time frame and time scales that I live and think and work on. Wow. Badass. Um, it's, it's super exciting uh, to talk to you and you sort of reinvigorate um, my love for the space just by hearing how, you know, even 10 years out now, you're, you're still into it. You're still trying to innovate, uh, make things happen. Um, really, really incredible talking with you. Um, where can people find your work? Where can they follow you and kind of keep up with uh, things Metronome, Block Labs, Block Cloud? Um, all things uh, Jeff Garza. <laughs> uh, sure. Well, uh, block.com and uh, block Inc. Twitter is uh, one. I'm a pretty prolific uh, Twitterer, but my uh, personal account, you'll have to put up with some of my politics and uh, activism as well. <laughs> um, 
but uh, very, uh, very forward looking. And I, I love to, to tweet about it. So I think uh, Twitter is, is probably the mainstay. We have uh, a metronome met token Twitter to keep up on that Titan the same. And uh, in general, we're uh, just looking to make uh, a big splash with uh, block.cloud and some of our uh, exciting uh, upcoming projects as well. It is. It's, it's, it is fascinating uh, to see uh, to see someone still uh, plugging away and and uh, not only uh, pragmatic, willing to talk about his failures. The space thing was hilarious, um, but also you know talk about maybe what the future holds. And like I said, I like the fact that you can have your sort of your your fingers in both parts of 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 this world. And I, I think there's actually more than that, as you as you've outlined. So uh, fantastic talking with you, man. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we are rooting for you. No, I really appreciate it. I, I love uh, giving a shout out to the community. The, uh, the, the Bitcoin and blockchain and crypto community is uh, one of the most uh, varied and vibrant and interesting. It's uh, organic and evolving. Uh, you know, in 2010, I used to say that Bitcoin is uh, it's a social network and it's, a, uh, it's an evolving organism. And uh, I think uh, those are true today, not just about Bitcoin, but about uh, the crypto community as well. So I love getting up and uh, waking up and uh, doing crypto every single day. And I look forward to doing that in the future. Hey, you gotta keep it spicy.